This podcast is brought to you by the Dunfield Retirement Residence, a casually elegant retirement community located at Young and Eglinton in the heart of Midtown Toronto. Customized living options complement your independent, active lifestyle. Learn more at thedunfield.com. The real battle we face now is whether there's going to be a Zionism in Canada. Not whether Israel is going to survive anti-Israel forces, but whether there's going to be any Jews who are going to want to stand up, whether your children, your grandchildren, and some of you, are you going to want to stand up and say, yeah, Israel's an integral part of my Jewish life. That's what it means to be a Zionist. That's what it sounded like Monday night, November the 21st, at Toronto's Holy Blossom Temple, where Rabbi Danielle Hartman joined David Kaufman, a professor of Jewish studies at York University, to discuss the future of religion and democracy in Israel. Half the coalition see world Jewry's Judaism, and the vast majority of world Jewry's Judaism is not orthodoxy. They see it as a problem. They see it as deficient. They see their job is to protect Israel from the Judaism that most world Jews are committed to. Danielle Hartman grew up in Montreal. His father was the late Rabbi David Hartman, who served at the TBDJ synagogue on Bailey Road before moving to Israel in 1971, where he founded the Shalom Hartman Institute, a Jewish research and education institute based in Jerusalem. Danielle became president in 2008. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Wednesday, November the 23rd. 2022. Welcome to the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by Metropia. Rabbi Daniel Hartman was the guest on our sister podcast, Bonjour Chai, last week. He and host Avi Feingold had a fascinating conversation about Israel and Zionism, especially in the wake of the most recent Israeli elections, and how diaspora Jews should navigate their relationship with Israel now. I'm away for a few days in Portugal, so I hope you enjoy this thoughtful conversation right after this important message. Did you know April 2023 is Israel's 75th anniversary? In honor of this huge milestone, UJA Federation of Greater Toronto is planning an epic trip to Israel, and all of Canada is invited. Israel's anniversary, Yom Ha'atzma'ut, is a -a one-of-a-kind experience. Streets are filled with parties, fireworks, music, and dancing. On UJA's Israel 75, you'll get to join the celebration. 75 is not a regular anniversary, and Israel 75 is not your typical trip. You'll get a truly unique experience of the country, no matter how many times you've been before. With 10 specialized tracks, you can create an itinerary that is totally personalized, whether you're a foodie, an adrenaline seeker, a TV buff, or politically minded. The best part? You can mix and match tracks on different days. Embark on a thrilling adventure one day and a culinary experience the next. Let your own interests be your guide and experience everything Israel has to offer. To learn more about the trip, visit UJAIsrael75.com. That's UJAIsrael75.com. In the aftermath of the most recent Israeli elections, with the return of Benjamin Netanyahu and a far-right coalition likely placing Betsalah Smutrich and Itamar Ben-Gvir in positions of power, a surge of international Jewish organizations and leaders, including many in Canada, expressed grave concerns with the results. 
The Zionist arm of the worldwide Masorti conservative movement, Merkaz Olami, said in a statement, It is impossible to ignore the fact that the coalition which appears to be in the making will include politicians whose positions regarding basic elements of democracy and diversity, such as Jewish pluralism, LGBTQ, and vulnerable minorities, significantly differ from the values which have guided Zionism since its inception. In a widely read column in the New York Times titled The Israel We Knew Is Gone, Tom Friedman wrote that the likely incoming coalition would royal synagogues in America and across the globe, haunt pro-Israel students on college campuses, stress U.S. diplomats, and send friends of Israel in Congress fleeing from those demanding to know why the U.S. should continue sending billions of dollars to aid in Israel. On the other side, many Israelis, and diaspora Jews too, perceive this as a mass clutching of pearls by armchair critics who don't actually have to live under any of the policies they lecture about. They say, you don't pay taxes here, you don't send your children to the army, you can't spend all your time bragging about how Israel is the most amazing democracy in the history of forever, and then turn around and say the Israel we knew is gone when you don't like the results. But that sentiment seems to undercut the messaging drilled into us as Canadian Jews since the inception of modern Zionism. Namely, that Israel is a home for all the world's Jews, that it is central to our past and central to our collective futures. And that's why it's so important to give our full financial and political support to it, because each one of us, every member of the Jewish family, past, present, and future, has a stake there. All of which brings us to the central question of today. What should the stance of Israeli and international Jewry be towards one another? Is it you do you will do us to each their own, or are we all bound up together in an international project that we all have a stake in? And how might that be shifting in the wake of the most recent elections? There's perhaps no better person to sort through all these questions with than our guest, Rabbi Dr. Daniil Hartman. Daniil lived in Montreal until 13 years old when his father, the well-known Rabbi David Hartman, and his family moved to Israel. There, David Hartman founded the Shalom Hartman Institute, which Daniil became president of in 2008. Daniil, welcome to Bonjour Chai. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Five years ago, you published an open letter to Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, where you spoke about Israel choosing to bury its head in the sand about systemic problems in the relationship between Israel and the diaspora. You wrote that Israel has consistently denied the legitimacy of world Jewry and, and their Judaism's Zionism's belief that it alone was creating the new and noble Jew cleansed from the stains of diasporic existence instilled a deep disdain within Israel for the Jews who live outside the state. And you wrote that we have run out of time and these issues must be addressed. Could you elaborate on these ideas a little bit more? And do you think that the message has landed either with the old slash new prime minister or with the Israeli public since then? It connects very deeply to your your really interesting opening remarks, where at the end you said there's this side and this side, but the deep message that we've been taught is that we are connected to Israel. We, as in world jewelry, are connected. We have a stake here. So don't tell me I don't belong. You've told me all along that Israel is the homeland of the Jewish people, which means that it belongs to me too. And that is still something that most Israelis don't fully understand. Or fully accept. Paradoxically, the one who is most, uh, who's most committed to it in the current government will be Benjamin Netanyahu. Um, he understands it, whether it will serve, whether following it or, or strengthening it will serve the coalition or self-interest is another issue, and that we've seen already for many years. Um, that the self-interest of the coalition is not to develop deep relations with world Jewry, and this coalition is filled with people who see, at least half the coalition, see world Jewry's Judaism, and the vast majority of world Jewry's Judaism is not orthodoxy, they see it as a problem. They see it as deficient. They see their job is to protect Israel from the Judaism that most world Jews are committed to. You know, the chief rabbi just said, you know, we have to, Israel is an orthodox country. 
<laughs> so it's so it could be that is first of all Israel's not an orthodox country but Israel is a country where orthodoxy represents authentic Judaism more than the other dominations um, but that's not the sentiment of world Jewry and so there is an inherent tension going on here and um, it's just if I would change anything you know when you speak what was it five years ago we always keep on saying we don't have any more time <laughs> So I think I should stop talking about whether we don't have any more time. We, I don't know how much more time we have, but there is a problem. We might have more time, but this coalition is not a coalition attuned to the issues of world jewelry, and it's not even attuned to giving world jewelry a voice. And um, that is, uh, those two together pose a serious challenge for all of us, for you, Avi, for me, for whom... To be a Zionist means to enable Jews around the world to feel that Israel is an important part of their Jewish identity. Well, I'm not moving to Israel anytime soon, uh, even despite the fact that I am a Zionist, because I always say that the last thing Israel needs is yet another Anglo rabbi. <laughs> but Avi, but a Zionism, here it's interesting, for me Zionism, to be a Zionist is not to move to Israel. To be a Zionist is exactly the, the argument that you articulated. It's to believe that Israel is an important and integral part of your Jewish life. Israel's not some overseas allocation. It's not just another place where there's Jews at risk. For you, Israel's an essential part of who you are as a Jew. That's what it means to be a Zionist. You know, that also still limits, and I'm not even sure what the answer is. What is my say with regards to what's going on there? And, and I'm not a big believer in these types of, this, types of, this type of language, but maybe with the rise of global anti-Semitism, I need a place to go and I should be able to have a say. This is my place, potentially, my refuge. And uh, I, I want to be able to know that this is where I'm going and I want to be able to have a say in this as a result. See, I, I make a very clear distinction between um, sharing what you feel and, 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 and determining uh, policy. Israel's a democracy. Whoever votes gets to shape the policies of the country. But world jury have a say. The question is whether Israelis are going to listen. See, Sidney Morgenbesser, the very famous philosopher, one of the most, the, the most significant philosophers of the 20th century, um, made the following distinction at a conference at the Institute. When he said at the time to a bunch of us Israelis, he said, I think... Israel has to get out of the West Bank, he said. And people jumped on him and said, what are you talking about? How dare you tell us what to do? You don't live here. Your kids aren't in the army, etc." And Sidney Morgan Besser laughed and smiled. And he said, excuse me, I apologize. I really believe I was misunderstood. I said to you, I think Israel should get out of the West Bank. I didn't tell you what to do. I told you what I think. World jury have a voice. World jury, if you don't have a voice, you won't have a relationship with Israel. At the end of the day, the legitimately elected government of Israel will decide policy. But you have to talk. You have a say. And, and whether they'll listen or not, it will be an interesting question. I do believe that your primary influence is both, it might be politically, but it is also in the social network, in the, in the third sector, in the educational and cultural center of Israeli life, who... Not one of them would exist without your support. There you have a much more powerful say.
so so that actually brings up a very important point, which is, and you brought up that Israel is not an Orthodox state, even though it is. And this is the point where it's starting to hinge for some people, where they're saying, well, who knows what the law of return will look like in f- several years from now with a hard right government. I s- can sympathize at least with the secular Jew who sees Israel as their primary faith, so to speak, and uh, is afraid of saying, you know, well, my father was the Jew and my mother is not necessarily. And uh, when the time comes, right, my, my, my insurance policy of supporting Israel, right, isn't, is, gonna, is not going to be there. And again, it's possibly because they're not thinking about these issues at a deeper level, but one can understand at least where that, those people are coming from. I appreciate it. And that's why we're talking, because we have to make sure that people, that there are literally millions and millions of Jews, the majority of Israeli society, if that moment came, will fight for them to come. And uh, that's, uh, that I feel I, I have no doubt about. Yeah, it's, you know, I think it sounds very wonderful and utopian, but in the diaspora, I think that it's it's fundamentally different. I think that, first of all, like, for example, Reformed Jews, you know, feel sometimes more comfortable living Jewishly in the diaspora than, than, in, than in the world, than in Israel, um, which, you know, is an existential question, if you ask me, that the vast majority of Jews may not feel comfortable living Jewishly um, in Israel. So your sense of Israeli society is very correct. Um, it's much more complicated. Zionism is not a anti-religious agenda as it was amongst the early, early Zionists. Um, so that is absolutely correct. Your statement that many Jews around the world feel more Jewishly free and comfortable outside of Israel, that's, that's a failure of Israel. And I'm not a utopian. I'm an educator. And the job of educators is to have a vision of utopia and to get to work. And I'm working, and I have a rabbinic school in which I'm training Orthodox, concerned reform, religious, secular men and women rabbis to go out and to build communities in Israel, which will, ed- which will advocate and push for a different type of Judaism. I'm, I'm teaching teachers. I'm teaching students. I'm out there day and night. Have we won yet, Avi? Not at all. Has this election been a setback? Absolutely, yes, it has. Um, and it just means we have to work harder. But I want to pivot just a bit. Um, there was a study that put out uh, by a group called Independent Jewish Voices. They painted a picture of Palestinian activists on campus fearing for their careers as professors, students feeling afraid to speak up for fear of pro-Israel professors or students in class. Right? The study itself, I don't want to get into whether it has issues or not. It was you know, put out by an extreme left-wing organization. It might be biased. Let's put bracket that and assume that this might be true on its face. Right. I read about this and I'm thinking to myself, how can two groups on opposite sides of a debate feel exactly the same thing? How is it that each side is terrified of the other and the other claims to be equally terrified at the same time? Both sides seem to be speaking up in the public square without any issue. And yet, right, everybody's afraid of everybody else. And I think that there are relationships to what we were just talking about with, with regards to this. And I'm, I'm curious what you would say to activists on both sides of this discussion, because again, it's the same thing, Israel and the diaspora and Israel activism and pro-Palestinian activism on campus, right? If, if both sides are completely afraid of the other, um, and I don't think Israelis at, at the Amcha level, at the individual's national level, are really afraid of what's going on in the diaspora, but people in the diaspora are petrified of what's going on in Israel, and Israel is sort of indifferent about it, and they see that as a problem, right? 
how what would you say to two sets of activists on two sides who are both completely afraid of each other and yet or at least say that they are and yet both sides seems to be talking and and living you know fine and both sides are are protesting both sides are, are doing their thing and yet every side is completely afraid of the other see there's both the there's the ex, there's the experience the feeling and then there's the political gain you make or you achieve or you attain as a result of arguing in that way the politics of fear sells um and it galvanizes your community everybody the, our problem today is that everybody wants to be the victim everybody wants to be a victim and it used to be that we actually wanted to win and now i want to be the victim <laughs> I, I i don't really you know i as an as an israeli um I'm a Jew of power. I'm not a victim anymore. And I thank God for the fact that I'm not a victim anymore. Now, with great power comes great responsibility. Um, I, don't want to, I don't want people to feel sorry for me. I have rights as a people. I believe Palestinians have rights. Talk to me about your rights. Talk to me about how your rights could work with my rights. Talk to me about, to what I want to talk, as an Israeli, I want to speak about what I believe are Palestinian rights. I want to speak about what I believe, I as a Zionist yearn that there should be a Palestinian state. I want to turn to Palestinians saying, what is your, is, where do I fit into your, into your narrative? Now, when you make yourself a victim, then you could ignore me. This is not the case anymore. There's a Palestinian people, there's a Jewish people. Let's stop this silly game of who's the greater victim. Like that's okay. Maybe it'll get you some short-term um, attention, but at the end of the day, it's when two people—and it's true—Israelis have more power right now than Palestinians. That's true. But when each side recognizes our ability to harm the other, and our that our inalienable rights don't allow us to ignore the inalienable rights of others, then we could start a serious conversation. But when each one is claiming, you know, you're victimized, it's just, it, it doesn't get us anywhere. And at the end of the day, is it about proving that I alone am right? Or is it about creating a world where more peace and coexistence could, could reign? I choose for the, for the latter. The reality is, is that right now, there is a powerful Jewish community in the United States and Canada. There's a powerful Jewish community in Israel. And the issue that we face is how do we, two Jews of power, two Jews, and Avi, as you say, very, you're at home in Canada. You're at home. Two Jews who are at home, very comfortable. Do we want to walk together? Do we need anti-Semitism and crisis to walk together? Now, it's true. This government, if we pull it together, as you said, is pulling us apart. It is. So I'm not, I, 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 I'm deeply saddened, but I'm not, unlike Tom Friedman, I'm not sitting shiva for the Israel that we lost. We're still in the fight. 50%, the last, between the two, the two, the two poles, the, the country, the population was divided in half. So it's true. There is an ultra-Orthodox community that's strong. There is a, a third or a half of the religious Zionist community. There are some secular ultra-nationalists. Half of our country is with us. That's not bad. Now let's get to 60, 70%. And then by the next election, we can return to power. The question is, are we going to walk away? Are we going to victimize ourselves? Or are we going to get busy? I choose getting busy. 
Yeah, and I, I know you've spoken about this, or you've written about this, about the uh, that we no longer take certain things as givens, right? In, in, this getting busy means that we have to start um, promulgating great ideas, right? And showing that you can't just accept whatever it is on its face. Um, what do you think that this this marketplace of ideas then is going to look like when, um, with this government coming in, do you think that there are people that are going to opt out? What is the nature of the things that we are going to have to fight for and we're going to have to present as saying this is what Israel believes and this is where we, we go that we're going to actively choose, right? What's, what, if we have to market, you know, liberal Jewish Hasbara, right, for Israel, what does that look like? It's very tough. And we're going to lose some people. Because there are people who are marginally connected now. Um, and, and they're going to ask themselves, what am I, is this an Israel that I want to have a relationship with? And we're going to lose some people. The question that we're going to face Which, is, by the way, I'm okay with. I'm not. Right, and I think <laughs> that we shouldn't have a... No, I'm serious. I really believe that if we believe in this idea of Bechira, if we believe that people return to a faith... Right, without resorting to Kirov and being Orthodox, meaning if you can become from secular to a committed Orthodox, a uh, committed conservative Jew or a committed Reformed Jew, we have to accept that people are going to say these ideas are not for me anymore. That's correct. On that level, I agree with you. But I want to fight for them. I want to fight for giving for. I want to fight for them Jewish. Now. I want them to choose. They're going to have to choose to be Jewish. Everybody chooses now whether they want to be Jewish or they don't want to be Jewish, and they're going to have to choose whether they want to have a relationship with Israel or not. Now, right now, the government of Israel is not going to be a source which excites your, your Jewish and religious imagination. That Jewishly, you're going to feel that Israel is violating the values that you care about. Our challenge is to, is to give voice to a major part of Israeli society who cares about a different Judaism. And the government of Israel doesn't exhaust, doesn't exhaust uh, Israel. If a, if a certain government comes in place, is you're, you're someone who you don't for, vote for in Canada, doesn't mean that's Canada. So the question is, can we win back Israel? And our, our responsibility over the next four years is to create very, very powerful voices that speak of a different Judaism and of a different Israel, an Israel that respects people of different identities and different beliefs and different nationalities, that respects Jews and non-Jews, um, that cares about religious pluralism and sees democracy as a Jewish value. We have a, okay, that's true. There are people in this coalition who don't share that. But I'm not, what, I'm giving up? I'm, I'm walking away? I'm never walking away. That's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Today's listener shout-out goes to Larry Rosenthal in Montreal. And coming up, come on with us on a field trip to the 100th anniversary of Jaius, the Jewish Immigrant Aid Services, that brought thousands and thousands of newcomers to our shores. At that time, when someone came into the office... He got immediate attention. It wasn't a matter of, I have five minutes and I'm going to lunch, or uh, I'm sorry, I can't see you make an appointment with my secretary. There wasn't such a thing as manana. Manana may be too late. And in my personal opinion, that any person that walks through the Jaya's door should receive first priority with a heart. 
The Dunfield Retirement Residence offers customized living options to complement your independent, active lifestyle. Welcome home. Welcome to the Dunfield. Visit us at thedunfield.com to book a personal tour.